Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 11 and 12 of A Court of Mist and Fury. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. Libby, I have to tell you, there's no basil in Italy. Hmm. And by that, I mean the one store that I went to, the commissary was out of basil. And I'm very upset. And also, I cried because I couldn't find fish sticks. Okay, as one does. Listen, I'm on my period and they were out of fish sticks. And every weekend, my husband is like fish sticks. So I get to eat fish sticks by myself and I have them for lunch. And there was no fish sticks. Who runs out of fish sticks? Nobody likes them. Apparently, Italy does. Apparently, all the children on base like fish sticks. This weekend, they did. So I got very upset by that. And then finally, how can one military base use so much head and shoulders <laughs> that the bx has been out for a month and a half look there's some apparently flaky men some dandruffy men in the military i guess i can't handle the soft water that's here in italy because i was born and raised in hard water so my scalp doesn't like it but listen the supply issues here are just getting insane i know covid was like the main reason behind all the supply chain issues but it's been four years great and we didn't have peanut butter here for eight months they need more time more time abby or coffee creamer four years is still not enough or head and shoulders or fish sticks so please tell me your day's better than mine my tbr is overwhelming me and i am fighting not retreating back to my comfort audiobook i know we're reading it currently hey that's not gonna help fix the issue (laughs) my tbr keeps growing and i'm just so overwhelmed by all the choices that i just want to go into my cocoon of just the familiar comfort noise of akamath on audible so that's been fun well if you listen to the same books then the list is going to keep going because that's how life works i know it makes the problem worse so great so i would advise to maybe not Not do 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 that the thing I know, I shouldn't. Whatever floats your little boat. Yeah. I also have an overwhelming TBR, but I just finished Throne of Glass, which you know has been like a four-month adventure. Yeah. It is weird. I picked up another book that's not fantasy. It's Twisted Love. Have you heard about it? It's all over TikTok. I've heard of that. Yeah. It's a book talk girlies book. Okay. And I was like, oh, this will be a nice little bridge because everybody says it's so good. Yeah. Bestie's writing is just so good okay. that I am reading Twisted Love. And this is no hate to the author, but it feels like it was written by a toddler. So it's kind of like seeing something on Broadway and then going to like a high school play and you're like, yeah. oh, okay. And I'm like, you published this? <laughs> shit oh damn (laughs) i know realistically that if i would not have read bestie's book right before this like if i would not have finished the entirety of throne of glass before this book i'm sure it's fine okay like i'm sure it would even have been enjoyable to read like a light read right but it just feels so dumbed down now (laughs) so girl enjoy your tbr of Uh, books that hopefully will live up to your expectation abby are you ready for our question of the week i don't know what it is no <gasps> Elizabeth, did I message you about this? No, actually. I was about to call you on the way home. Let's inform our listeners. Tell them what it is, but then I have to tell you this is freaky. The question of the week, which I picked this morning and I have not discussed with you whatsoever. No. Is 
what is the best and or worst piece of advice a family member has given you? Which you clearly have something locked and loaded. So please. Oh no, 100%. I was about to message you and I think I even typed it out and it said something along the lines of, can we please make one of our questions this week? What is a piece of advice or a statement that a family member has given you that's stuck with you forever? Okay, sure. It's not a happy one. <laughs> Mine isn't either. <laughs> okay, so. I just wanted to throw the option of good out there because I don't have a lot of good <laughs> for that. <laughs> Can it just be a statement? Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. My grandma, not, not my nana, but my grandma, when I was losing weight in high school, I'd gotten down to like 275. Yeah. Not even like 280, which was low for me at the time. The lowest weight I'd ever been in my teenage life. And I remember my grandma said, no matter how much weight you lose, you will always be a big girl. I had been on a diet, like an extreme, it was an unhealthy diet at that point for, I don't know, six months. It was Christmas, uh, literally Christmas Eve. I physically could not get any words out till this moment. Yeah. What the fuck? She said that and it was after somebody had congratulated me on my weight loss because I was at least starting to look a little bit lighter. And I remember she said that and I had not had a, a cheat meal, had six months and something in me just was crushed at that. And I tried not to internalize it, but I mean, how do you not? Yeah. And I remember after that, like I went off the deep end and like had a cone from Dairy Queen like the next day or something. I don't know. It was rough. So I don't know why I was thinking about that. The other one was, of course, weight loss related. My brother, when I had lost 100 pounds back in 2019, I hit 275, which was the lowest I'd ever been in my adult weight. Right. And I was so proud of myself. And I hadn't seen my brother in like two years. Yeah. And he was coming home for the first time with his wife at the time and the baby that I got to meet for the first time. And I was so excited for my brother to see me because my weight's always been something that I was uncomfortable with but I finally was doing it like you could see I made a difference Mm -hmm. and my mom was like doesn't she look so good and my brother goes I can't really tell and that's another thing that's just always stuck a happy one is a compliment I got in seventh grade where a girl told me that I had the most beautiful brown eyes she'd ever seen We have a good one. Please tell me yours before I cry on the podcast. (laughs) I'm ready to fight everybody. Good Lord. It's fine. It's good. Mine, it is advice. It's probably the worst advice I've ever gotten or even heard ever from anybody. Great. My husband and I got engaged when we were 18. And yes, we were babies. Yes. And a lot of my family members, like nobody was bothered by our age because we had just survived high school without ever getting pregnant which in my family seemed to be a feat that was amazing it was a huge deal to not be 16 and pregnant another teen mom and and I'm not saying that the people in my family were 16 and pregnant but there were a lot of younger pregnancies right a lot of younger relationships And we got engaged at 18 and one of my aunts, I have several aunts. I'm not going to say which one. I'm sure she will know. I I don't think any of them even care enough to listen to this podcast. Let's call her Rebecca. Sure. Rebecca. (laughs) That's not her name, but I don't have any Rebecca's in my family. So that's safe. Rebecca. Uh, So Bex, Becky, right after I got engaged, literally as soon as my then fiance, soon to be husband, was taken to the airport to then go off to basic training to be in the military. She pulls me aside and was like, are you really going to do this? And I'm like, well, yeah. And <laughs> she's like, okay. And and she, again, it's not about my age. That wasn't the problem. It was just that I was going to actually get married at all. So she tells me then now is my time 
to experiment and sleep with as many people while he can't find out to make sure and to do it all now because once I'm married, we're locked in. And I was just like, oh. Oh, I remember you telling me this. I'm not going to do that, but mm. thank you, question mark? No? My husband knows the story, and he knows who said it. And yeah, so that was one of the worst pieces of advice a family member has given me. I don't like that, because guess what? You guys are happily married. Absolutely. It's slim pickings for good examples of healthy romantic relationships in my families. So there weren't a lot of other people to look up to. There, there were very few happy, good examples of what a healthy, not toxic, <laughs> awful... <laughs> yeah. So I'm not surprised. They're doing great. They're thriving are they doing <laughs> they are they are still they are yes okay <laughs> not my favorite humans no. this podcast episode contains discussions and commentary on the series a court of thorns and roses by sarah j mass we believe that our use of copyrighted material falls under the doctrine of fair use as we are providing transformative commentary analysis and discussion for educational and entertainment purposes we respect the rights of the copyright owner and our use is in accordance with the principles of fair use under copyright law listeners are encouraged to obtain their own copies of the court of thorns and roses series by sarah j mass to fully enjoy and appreciate the work in its entirety. Chapter 11. Rhysand immediately questioned Favor on what had happened to her. Favor told him to just look in her head. Reese began to playfully tease that it wouldn't be fun that way. Favor didn't react or speak. He pushed further, joking about there being no shoes thrown at him this time, but Favor headed to her room. Reese asked in an almost worried tone for her to join him for breakfast. She realized her clothes were so loose that now they were almost falling off. She hadn't realized she'd been losing this much weight. They were asked if Reese had better things to do. And he agreed that he did. And sometimes it was all so much that he wanted to release his power across the whole world and wipe it out all for mere minutes of peace. But he would always make time for Feyre. Favor did feel hungry, and she could see that Reese was genuinely worried for her. She motioned for Reese to lead the way and followed him. She felt tired, so tired. Reese asked if anything had happened this month in the spring court. He had sensed more fear through the bond than usual. Favor brushed him off by stating it was nothing. She could see the rage on Reese's face and asked why he bothered to ask her if he already knew what had happened. Reese got quiet and told her that most days, all he heard was nothing in their bond. Silence. He would even tug on the bond just to see if she was still alive. Then, out of nowhere, terror is blasted into the bond. He got glimpses of the scene in the study when Tamlin let loose his rage and obliterated it all. Then, back to silence. Favor told him it had just been an argument and it was not any of his business. Reese asked if that was the cause of her looking consumed by grief and guilt and rage. Favor told him to get out of her head. Reese urged her to push him out herself. They stared at one another and Favor felt him challenging her, but she simply didn't care. Reese asked if the wedding was on hold and Favor only said, yes. Reese teased that he had expected more of a fight in her response, but Favor ignored this and reached for food. Reese asked and said if Favor had considered his offer. Feyre ate her food entirely before telling him that she would not be working with him. Reese wanted to know why. Feyre didn't want to be a part of the war he thought was coming. She didn't want to be a pawn or a weapon. Reese snapped back that he wanted her help. He didn't intend to manipulate her. 
Favor knew that he wanted to use her to piss off Tamlin. Reese admitted that he brought that on himself from the events under the mountain, but he truly did just need her help. Favor could feel Reese wanting her to engage and ask him why. Favor didn't have it in her to do any of that. Reese appealed to Favor that he had been prisoner to Amarantha for 50 years, made to be tortured, beaten, and fucked by her until he reminded himself who he was and what he needed to protect. He begged her to help him keep that from happening again to Prithian. A small part of Feyre felt for Reese in this cause, but Tamlin had done small things like lessen the number of guards escorting her, so he was obviously trying, and she couldn't jeopardize him trying. So Feyre continued to just eat, and Reese said nothing more. Feyre spent dinner and breakfast alone in bed. She got up around noon and met Rhysand, who was smiling at her as he directed her to a table he had arranged with books and paper and ink. Rhys instructed Feyre to copy the sentences he had written. Feyre read them with ease. Rhysand is a spectacular person. Rhysand is the center of my world. Rhysand is the best lover a female can ever dream of. Feyre copied the sentences and handed Rhys the paper without so much as a word. A moment later, Rhys's claws slammed into her already in place shield. They bounced off, and Reese commented that she had practice. All Feyre said was she had nothing better to do. Reese had left for business that night and left a pile of books beside her door. A note stated that she could send word if she needed him. Days had gone by, and she did no such thing. At the end of the week, Reese had returned, and Feyre had almost read an entire book. She felt somehow less alone in this world that had never existed, with characters who had also never existed. Reese brought her a plate of food and taunted her lack of sass when she only told him, thank you. Feyre reached for the plate and Reese pulled it back, asking her to tell him what to do, how to help her. Feyre said nothing. Reese continued on that after so many months, she was still slipping away. Why wasn't the spring court asking her what is happening? Does Tamlin not care? Feyre defended Tamlin. He was just giving her space to figure it out. But Feyre could hardly recognize herself when saying this. Reese pleaded that Feyre let him help her. Amarantha wins if Feyre allows herself to break apart. Feyre wondered if this is what Reese had been telling himself to survive these last several months. Feyre went back to her book and sent two words down the bond. Conversation over. Reese snarled back, like hell it is, and Feyre slammed her book shut. She could feel an icy rage grazing at her fingertips and palms. Feyre thought she had seen frost covering the book before she hurled it at Reese's head. Reese shielded this, but encouraged her, asking of her in uneven breaths, what else did she have? The ice melted into flames, and Reese looked relieved to see some sort of feeling from Feyre. But the thought of returning to the Spring Court Manor, it made Feyre slip back into the deep, silent emptiness. Reese told her he would always be willing to play with her whenever she needed. Favor realized she was spiraling deeper and deeper and had forever lost the Favor she had been before stabbing the Fae under the mountain. Favor ate in silence and didn't look back at Resand again. Tamlin was waiting the next morning upon Favor's arrival back to the spring court. He looked murderously upon Reese, and Reese returned the feeling with a predatory smile. Tamlin growled at Feyre to get inside the manor. Feyre could see with the rage in Tamlin's face that any solitary rides or walks around the grounds were now lost. Reese told Feyre to fight it before disappearing. Feyre only said that she was fine to Tamlin. Tamlin swore that he would find a way to end this bond. Yet again, Tamlin made Feyre walk through every minute detail of her week in the night court. 
Fair told it all and got smaller and quieter with each word she spoke. Fair could see the urgency to protect, protect, protect in Tamlin's eyes, felt it in each thrust later that night. She had been taken from him in death once before and Tamlin would be sure it would never happen again. By the next morning, the sentries were back in full force. Chapter 12. It was just like before. The week she returned, she wasn't even allowed out of sight of the house. Tamlin was yet again gone from the house with some unknown threat that had broken out in the spring court. Feyre asked Lucian, asked her friend, to tell her what it was, but he couldn't. Not with his loyalty to Tamlin that won every battle. Ianthe had come back once the two left, but Feyre didn't know if it was to keep her company or to watch over her, considering Ianthe was the only one allowed in the manor. Feyre was thankful that the lords and ladies of the court that were perpetually present were sent away, even though she knew Tamlin enjoyed having them around. Some of them were his old friends, but Feyre felt they talked as if they were at war, pretty words masking sharp-edged insults. She was glad for the silence, but it also also amplified the feeling inside of her, emptiness. She wondered if this was all she had to look forward to in her immortality. The only thing keeping her loneliness away was the countless books she read, the characters' lives keeping her from completely losing sanity. Tamlin returned eight days later, and after a brief kiss to her forehead, immediately began briefing Ianthe on what happened, information that Feyre was not to hear. She watched the two walk together down the hall when she saw red hair, Amarantha's red hair. She froze. It wasn't her. Instead, it was Lucian. She wasn't in the dungeon. She was here safe. Lucian's eyes were focused down at Feyre's hands, where her nails had grown into claws, the same claws that shredded her underwear most nights. Stop, 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 she begged, and it did, the claws vanishing into tendrils of smoke. Lucian looked down towards Ianthe and Tamlin, who had thankfully not noticed the monstrosity that had just occurred. Lucian motioned for her to follow, follow him to the second floor, empty study. The door shut behind her before he began his questioning. How long have those claws been appearing? Feyre stated that this was the first time. Lucian just stared at the awful pink gown Ianthe had dressed her in that morning. There's only so much I can do, but I'll ask him again tonight about the training. The powers will manifest whether we train you or not, no matter who's around. I'll ask him tonight, he reiterated. But Feyre already knew what the answer was. She had no hope. She left without another word towards him, returned to her room, and slept until dinner. She made herself get up and go downstairs, but when she did, she heard raised voices. They will hunt and kill her, Ianthe growled at Lucian. They'll do it anyway. What's the difference? He bit back. She rebutted. The difference lies in us having the advantage of this knowledge. It won't be Feyre alone who's getting targeted for the gifts stolen from those high lords. Your children, she glanced at Tamlin, will also have such power. Other high lords will know that, and if they do not kill Feyre out outright, they might realize what they stand to gain if gifted with offspring from her too. Feyre's stomach dropped at the thought of her being stolen for breeding. Lucian tried to say that if any of the High Lords were to go that far, no others would stand with them. No one would be that stupid. Resand is that stupid, is what she retorted with. Imagine, a day might come when he does not return with her. You hear those poisoned lies he whispers in her ear. There are other ways around it. We might not be able to deal with him, but there are some friends that I made across the sea. We're not assassins, Lucian raged. Tamlin, Tam, just let her train, let her master this. The other High Lords 
do come for her, let her at least stand a chance. The silence was loud as Tamlin took his time to consider. No. Feyre began her walk back upstairs. Each step she heard more. We give them no reason to suspect she might have any abilities, which training will only surely do. Don't give me that look, Lucian. Only silence until magic rocked the house. A voice promising death said, do not push me on this. Feyre didn't care to know what more was to happen in the room below her. She instead locked her door, not bothering to have dinner. Tamlin hadn't bothered her that night, so she stayed in bed until afternoon. When she had left, she found some sentries standing outside her door. They had informed her that Tamlin and Lucian were in his study for the day. Feyre started her well-worn path leading to the garden, passing sentry after sentry who attempted to not look her way. It was too quiet. Feyre needed to leave to go do something. Feyre turned towards Tam's study when the two bursted out of the door, both armed to the teeth. Feyre asked if he was leaving so soon, but Tamlin only said that there was activity on the western border, the one that bordered Highburn, and that they must go. She asked to go with them, but Tamlin only said no. It was too dangerous for her to go. She pleaded and reminded Tamlin that she knew how to remain hidden. He said he wouldn't risk their enemies getting their hands on her. She wondered just exactly who their enemies were and silently begged him to tell her something of importance. Feyre looked toward the exit of the house and saw no horses. She thought they wouldn't need them now, since they were faster than the horses. She wondered if maybe once they left, she could don't even think about it. Don't even try to come after us. I can fight, please. This is what she had become. A woman pleading with her fiance for a life. And she hated that word more than anything. Please. Tamlin shook his head in a silent answer and began to walk towards the door. She tried something else. She reminded him that there would always be some kind of threat, some conflict or enemy that kept her inside. He told her that she could barely sleep through the night but she bit back, reminding him that he couldn't either. He had promised her he was going to try, and instead here he was, doing the exact opposite. She needed to get out of the house. He offered to have Ianthe or Braun take her on a ride, but she lost it at that. She didn't want to go for a ride, she yelled. She didn't want to go for a ride or a picnic or pick wildflowers. She wanted to do something, so take her with him. She realized in that moment that the girl who had needed the protection he provided had died under the mountain. Feyre had died there, and had no one to protect her from what she witnessed, her neck snapping. She had protected herself. She couldn't yield that part of her that had awoken and transformed under the mountain. Tamlin got his powers back and was able to become whole again. She had not gone back to the docile human girl she had once been. She would never be her again. Tamlin's claws came out then. He said, even if I risked it, your untrained abilities render your presence more of a liability than anything. Those words turned to stone upon Feyre's skin, but her determination flared. I'm coming along whether you want me to or not. No, you aren't, he breathed as he exited the door. Feyre immediately began to follow him when she slammed into it, an invisible wall, just like the one she had created previously. But after checking, she knew the shield wasn't from her. She again reached out towards the open door and felt the resistance. His name felt from her lips, but he didn't dare look back. She began to say his name again and pushed against the wall, pushed and then slammed her hand against it, but it didn't budge. Had she learned how to control her abilities, maybe she could have removed the shield, but she wasn't given that opportunity. She'd let him convince her not to learn those things, not just for her safety, but for his sake. Lucian's voice came through the fog of her now panicking mind. Don't bother trying. He shielded the entire house around you. Others can go in and out, but you can't. Not until he lifts the shield. Tamlin winnowed away. Tamlin had locked her in. She slammed her hand against the shield again, but nothing happened. Lucian pleaded for her to be patient and said he would see what he could do. Lucian would try again, but then he left. Tamlin 
had locked her inside. She was trapped, trapped inside the house, which at that point should have just been under the mountain. Felt like she was back inside that cell. She couldn't breathe. She stopped seeing the floor in front of her, quit hearing the birds outside. Gone were the paintings on the wall and the staircase behind her. She saw black. Favor wanted to scream as she fell to the floor. Her hands found their way around her knees and she wrapped herself up. Well, wrapped what was left of her shattering soul. Tamlin trapped her. He trapped her. He trapped her. She had to get out just like she had to get out the last time she was trapped. But this time, could she winnow herself out to freedom? She reached for her power, but there was nothing. She was nothing and she couldn't get out. Alice screamed her name, but Favor wasn't there. She was far, far away. She was encased in darkness and fire and ice and wind. Her ring melted off her finger and the emerald center fell. She wrapped her rage around her, trying to keep the walls from closing in on her again. She couldn't get out. She couldn't get out. She couldn't get out. But now there were hands grabbing her, small, strong hands. Feyre couldn't bring herself to fight the hands now under her shoulders, her knees, and then her back. She was lifted up against the undoubtedly female body. She knew it was Amarantha, but she didn't want to look. Amarantha had come to take her again and finally kill her. But there were voices around her, none of which were Amarantha's. Please, please take care of her, she heard Alice whisper. A voice that was holding her said, Consider yourself very, very lucky that your high lord was not here when we arrived. Your guards will have one hell of a headache when they wake up, but they're alive. Be grateful, the voice said. Not just any voice, but Moore's. It was Moore who held her. Feyre opened her mouth, but Moore asked if she thought that Tamlin's shields would have kept them from her. She told her that Reese had shattered them with half of a thought. Reese, where was he? She couldn't see him anywhere, so she only held on to Moore, trying to breathe and think. Favor was carried through the gardens, to the fields, up and down a hill and into a cave. A cave with more darkness. Favor began to panic again, but more soothed. You're out. You're free. Again and again and again. They were swallowed fully by darkness now, then followed by bright sunlight. A vicious, angry growl cracked in the silence. I did everything by the book, Moore said, to whoever had growled. Feyre found herself in a new set of arms. She tried and failed to breathe until Reese said, then we're done here. Darkness swallowed her once again, but she was soothed by the softer shade of night that held her, helped her to breathe again, and lulled her to sleep. Well, fuck. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about sad episodes. <sighs> what are your thoughts and feelings, Libby? <laughs> I'm gonna go in order. Starting with my chapter. Mm-hmm. I felt so sad that even Reese was feeling worried. Even he was feeling overcome and just almost grief for her. And she wasn't even phased. She was like, "Yeah, I know." And he's like, "Have breakfast with me." And she's like, "Don't you have better things to do?" And he's telling her how he would love to just absolutely destroy everything so he could have just a second of peace. But then. Uh, sweeps me off my feet and is like, I'll always make time for you. And it's like, uh huh. Like, that's very sweet i'm so irritated that reese wants more than anything to spend time with Feyre. it's so clear he just wants to be around her and tamlin who is supposed to be betrothed to her can't manage to spend more than apology sex time with her and then he's gone again all the time he's not been fully present at all this book no he's so checked out so checked out of their relationship he does not have any interest in actually getting to know Feyre. It's sad that Reese is resorting to making her mad. Push me out. Get me out of your head. Fight with me. Play with me. 
even that isn't enough. She always has her fire, her rage, but she can't muster anything up. She gets mad for a moment with Reese. And then at the very end, she's just like, oh yeah, I have to go back to the spring court and crumbles back. Have you ever been depressed before? Yes. We think mental health is important on this podcast. Very. I have never been shy about the fact that I have depression and anxiety. That's the story of my life. Didn't know it until a couple of years ago. Always have had it. But ever since being on medicine, it's not really an issue anymore. But there used to be days in my early relationship with my husband where I couldn't. Yeah. And I don't mean like I couldn't do X, Y. I just couldn't fake being happy that day. Right. Just like Thera says, I don't have the energy for it. That's what it feels like. And I mean, honestly, yeah. let's be real. That's not my period this week. And it makes me feel that way sometimes. Yeah. He's trying so hard to bring back the fire that he knows she has. Yeah. This woman, when she's herself, is full of fire and spite in a good way and humor. Right. And he's looking at her and she's lost so much weight. She is now literally a skeleton, both mentally and physically, of the person she was before. And he just doesn't know how to fix it. Yeah. He's literally like, tell me what to do. How can I help you? And oh, that broke me. That was a gut punch for him to just come right out and say it. Like, tell me what I can do, please. Reese is not the type to just lay it out there like that. Be so direct. Mm -mm. And he's just like, I don't know what else to do. Like, tell me. (sighs) I felt like Bestie was speaking to us on some level when Faye was talking about how she had almost read an entire book in a week. And she's saying, you know, this book, it filled my time. It gave me quiet, steadfast company with characters who did not exist and never would, but somehow made me feel less alone. And it's just, I felt that. Us, hi. Uh, That was my favorite quote, but I felt that. There have been times where you just feel so sad and empty and it's like you could almost find home in some characters and books. And it was like a nod to the reader, I felt in a way. Like, I see you. She was like, I know you're sad and you're reading my book. You're welcome. We've all been here. Even Feyre's here. Yes. I see you. I'm here for you. Yes. Uh, And then, yes, I put notes about Reese saying, tell me what to do. And Feyre flat out tells Tamlin what she needs and what she's feeling and what can be done. And Tamlin just doesn't care. He's like, cool. And I'm not doing any of those things. And I did put a pun in my note, like the difference between like Tamlin and Reese is night and day, but I'm Uh just going to high lord of the night. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. That was dumb and I loved it. (laughs) But there is such a difference Reese is begging tell me what to do and she just doesn't have it in her anymore because she's tried so hard with Tamlin and he has drained her so much that when she tried to open up to him and he was just blaming her and note see how mad you made me see what happens when you talk about your feelings and you open up it's like okay I'm just done you know and she doesn't even have the energy to give someone the chance to help her find herself again the fact that he realized he could not get the fire back in her yeah and he immediately switched instead of pushing her which Tamlin would have done to commiserating with her is the best way to say it he talks about under the mountain he's like I was a prisoner of court for nearly 50 years I was tortured and beaten yeah and she goes some distant part of my heart ached and bled the words at what he had laid bare but Tamlin had made exceptions he'd lightened the guards presence allowing me to roam a bit more freely he was trying we were trying what the fuck it's so sad to me how little this man has to do to get her loyalty and her devotion, how little it takes. It's not even the bare minimum because it's it's not the bare minimum. It is scraping the barrel and she's happy. There were a few things and I'll circle back to them. At the very end, her last sentence just says, the centuries returned in full force the next morning. She knows 
when she gets back to the spring court that there were not going to be any more solitary walks or rides that she could see what little he had conceded to and agreed to and given her he was going to take back and make worse tenfold and it's like why nothing happened again she fulfilled her bargain there was no threat there was no danger she simply had to go again for the second time to the night court to fulfill a bargain and Tamlin reacted by punishing her further please no Reese has never punished her not even once the bargain wasn't even a punishment it was literally so they could spend time together oh no so what really frustrated me was when they got back to the spring court at the end of the chapter and Tamlin's first words are him growling at Feyre to get inside and it's just ew really that's how you're going to treat Feyre here this is the person you're supposed to be so madly in love with and you're growling at her I don't understand that and then Reese he's trying to reach out he's trying to tell her he's like just fight it oh in your chapter wow did we skip past this when Reese says she wins that bitch wins if you let yourself fall apart I fucking quit that's the whole point of the book right there it took no questioning from her for him to be like I completely understand what your issue here is yeah let me try to fix it yeah not like I'm gonna get angry at you for expressing how you feel yeah I think I got one of my biggest icks not the biggest because the biggest was your chapter but one of my biggest icks so far of this book was at the end when it's the protect 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 seeing it in his eyes I can't even feeling it in his thrust Ugh, ugh, that physically hurt me to get out. Okay. She's, I think, at that point feeling the ick though because she's literally said, I don't want protection anymore. Mm-hmm. But I also liked how at the very end after they had spent some time together, he felt like he could push her and he finally got her to feel something. Yeah. Granted, it was anger, which isn't the best feeling. It's a feeling. She even says, and a feeling for once, not like that hollow, cold, silent. Oh, hi. Hmm. If we're feeling things, maybe we should stay with that person. Yeah. And you're right. When she goes back home and Taylor says, get inside. Gross. Right. Gross. That makes me feel like the chapter that broke me the chapter that the first time I read through this I sobbed Abby this chapter hurt we finally see Feyre reach the lowest reach her breaking point shouldn't have to have reached her breaking point because Timon's being a little asshole oh absolutely you're absolutely right it should never have come to this not in a million years Mm. nope I am so heartbroken isn't the right word because this chapter might have broken you. It did not break me. I am glad it happened. Okay. Because if it didn't happen now, it would have happened later and would have hurt more. Okay. They could have been married. They I don't know if divorce is a thing here. I don't know. It could have been worse. And as sad as it was, like when she kept saying, I can't get out. I can't get out of here. I'm stuck. When you could see the PTSD and the flare up happening again, that hurt. And the fact that like she thought Amarantha had come to get her again, you knew she was in a flashback and she wasn't even fighting it no and she's just like she's here to finally get me and then alice is like please take care of her alice by the way doesn't say don't take her which is my favorite thing it's just please take care of her. it reinforced my love for alice it reinforced that alice was a good person to pharah that alice was a true support in a way of pharah mm-hmm. in the best way she could be i feel by not standing in the way and you know saying like yes like yes take her please take care of her she knew alice could tell things were bad and you know for someone as considered in low as a position as she was this was the most that she could do was to not stand in the way of favor getting out backing up really quick before she gets locked in lucian he's trying oh i was just thinking this but it's not enough i feel like lucian is 
I don't know. I don't want to say a victim here. I feel like Lucian's not ready to break free of Tamlin either. He's not ready to fight back or stand up or to accept that what Tamlin's doing is not okay. And it's hard because I want him to be more of an ally and supporter of Feyre, but he's not ready to come to terms with that. And it's like, you can tell that he's trying in a way. It's still not enough and it's still not okay, but it's just, it's hard. It sucks. He's saying, you know, there's only so much I can do. Like, I'll, I'll ask him. Maybe, maybe we can try to train you. Maybe we can try to go for a ride. And she's just like, I cannot. I need more. I am breaking. Like, she is shouting it. I don't know what more she could say to Tamlin and Lucian to make it clear that she is not going to be okay. It makes me wonder, is she worse here than she was under the mountain? And I feel like she was. Under the mountain, she had spark. She had fight. And still doing what she could to save people and herself. And here, it's just like, she has nothing. Nothing. This feels almost worse of a torture. Obviously, it's a mental torture, not a physical torture. This just feels like a worse breaking of her. It has been hard to read through these chapters. It is hard to get through these chapters and watch and read over and over again how she is just being let down and how she is just falling deeper into her depression. Reese is trying to save her. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much he can do because she has to go back as of now. I feel like he's trying so hard to like get her a little bit of fire back because he knows she has to go back and face the hell that she's literally withering away in and so he's trying to give her a little bit of fire to get through it and instead of that what's happening is she's going back and it's just getting worse we'll go on to when tamlin throws the absolute hissy fit he knows that she has nightmares of being trapped in that cell and somebody could counter with well he was just trying to keep her in and he was just trying to keep her safe which is exactly what he's thinking but you do not trap someone whose ultimate fear is being trapped. how do i word this you do not get to make those decisions for other people. No. I don't care if you believe you are protecting anybody. You do not get to make those choices. You do not get to say I'm keeping you safe and lock somebody in. That's simply not it. Parents, guardians, that's one thing when they are under your legal guardianship and care. Completely different story. Right. This is different. This is not what I mean. You don't, in terms of a partner or a spouse or another consenting adult or even child, if I find out you're locking a child like in a closet there are limits and with any adult you should not be uh, I don't know how to word this in a way that we're not going to get somebody trying to be like well in this situation look (laughs) it's not a blanket statement but it's as much of one as we can make right but his favorite thing is control so how's that gonna work Mm, well it clearly doesn't favor just unleashes she doesn't even harm anybody in the process and yet Tamlin couldn't manage to not destroy everything favor simply shields herself into this cocoon of just I I don't even know just all of it coming out she doesn't harm anyone in the process shouldn't hurt anybody shouldn't destroy the manor but Tamlin he throws a hissy fit every 0.2 seconds and the whole house is coming down hmm and she doesn't have training. Oh. No knowledge on how to wield. And she unleashes without managing to fuck anything up. I love how she even says, he wasn't doing this just for me, for my safety. Right. He was doing this for his own protection. And I was like, there we go. It took you a little bit of time, but we got there. A hundred percent. That's kind of the whole point, friend. That's kind of the whole point. And he wanted complete control over you, both physically, mentally, and now magically. And you said it earlier, and you're right. She had to come to this breaking point to finally be willing to get out. To finally be willing to not run back and not forgive him and not give him chances. She finally had to get to this point 
to say this is not okay. It's fucking frustrating that he had to break her down this hard for her to finally be like, what the fuck? But we can see it. There it is. There's a shimmer in the darkness of her being like, no, nope, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And I hate how comfortable the three, Ianthe, Lucian, and Tam, feel about talking about Feyre as if she's not there. Mm. She's literally upstairs. Y'all could just like come downstairs and ask for her opinion. She's not a person to them. She is a possession. She is something to be molded and controlled and instructed and that's it. She is not someone of individual thought and, and action. She is theirs to decide what to do with. So of course that's how they talk about her. Which in my eyes is the ultimate sign of disrespect because she is a person. She should have her own input on her life. And instead, they decide that she's not worth her own autonomy. But there we go. She has none in their eyes. They think that's just a-okay. Of course, more comes to get her. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because if another High Lord went in and stole something or a person would have uh, started a war? At this point in the book, I wondered if it was because Tamlin would be on the lookout for Reese and it would be easier to track Reese down and get to wherever Reese was because he, cause he was already kind of like on edge waiting for him to come around. But maybe more wouldn't have been somebody he'd be looking out for and it would have been easier for her to get in and get out without being tracked as fast so at that point that was my guess maybe i am leaning more towards like i know they don't have actual legality issues but like that's kind of my vibe it definitely makes sense i just know that when i was reading this through the first time that's what my thought was at this point was maybe that's why more was the one to go in because it would have been a tracking thing but no i completely get where you're coming from too that is a good guess at this point as to why she had to do it and i wonder why she had to go up and down a hill through a field to a random ass cave yeah, that was a lot i'm like are we going on a hike like whoa i was very confused but i was like okay and she does meet up with reese at the end and kind of pass favor over which a quote from the book my favorite quote was when she's saying a sweeter softer shade of night caressed me stroking my nerves my lungs until i could at last get air inside until it seduced me into sleep this nighttime presence finally made her feel safe and calm enough that she didn't feel like she couldn't breathe. Because earlier she was saying, he locked me in. He trapped me. I can't breathe. And now she's like, oh, yes. Like, here is that freedom. Here's that breath. I want to agree with you, but do you know how hard that was to summarize? Do you have any idea how hard that was to summarize? (laughs) That was my favorite quote. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have to summarize it, so that's why it was easier for me to love it. But (laughs) do you have a favorite quote? Yes. I sure do. Maybe I have two. That's not happened in a very long time. I have one from your chapter on page 114 that says, and I realized I was in a free fall with no end. There's a quote by John Green that says, I'm on a roller coaster that only goes up. Oh, I don't like that. It is a good thing. It's saying that there's only good in life and you're kind of ignoring when the roller coaster goes back down and you're crashing. Okay. That kind of, I don't know, it had the same kind of vibe. I had a free fall with no end. Yeah, but like logically... I just want to say, John Green, going up on roller coasters is like the worst part of roller coasters. But I get it. Okay, I get it. Moving on. It's like a a no thank you moment. (laughs) Ew. The other one is in chapter 12, page 121 that says, That girl who had needed to be protected, who had craved stability and comfort, she had died under the mountain. I had died under the mountain. And there had been no one to protect me from those horrors before my neck snapped. So I'd done it myself. And I would not, 
could not yield to that part of me that had awoken and transformed under the mountain. Tamlin had gotten back his powers, had become whole again, become that protector and provider he wished to be. I was not the human girl who needed coddling and pampering, who wanted luxury and easiness. I did not know how to go back to craving those things, to be docile. Ah! <sighs> I don't know why. But I love that so much. My heart for Feyre. These were just hard chapters. I just want to say more is my new favorite. I'm glad she saved Feyre. And I want to see more from her. Because she seems like a fun lady. More from more. More from more. She just seems like a fun is the wrong word. She seems like such a, a good friend. Like she's met Feyre once. A breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. She's what Favor needs. Well, I think she needs Reese, but like more. Yeah. Okay. But I'm talking friend wise, Abigail. Yeah. We all need a friend sometimes. Our star of the week this week, my friend, uh, speaking of, is my favorite human, I think, on this entire world. And specifically because of the memes she shares on her page. You were dying over her memes. Her name's McKinley, which is just freaking adorable. Her at on Instagram is at Reesey Darling. Lippy was reading a really dramatic chapter last episode. And I felt so bad because I'm sitting there, tears streaming down my face from laughing at this woman's freaking memes she's posting and they're not just akatar memes they're all besties memes and i just finished throne of glass so to be able to like actually get the throne of glass memes full on crying there are specifically two that i need to read out to y'all and, and there's no spoilers but i sent libby approximately forty-two thousand of them but this one says my kink is seeing century old fey males who think they've seen the worst of the worst being horrified and shocked by things that 19 year old girls have gone through <laughs> because yeah and if you don't get it, run and go read Throne of Glass. Uh, just, just real quick. I mean, honestly, fair too. She's young and has been through hell. And Reese is like, what the hell? That's fair. You know, that is. Yeah. Okay. Another one. There's a quote. This book really made me feel fuzzy and good at the end. Quote kind of love for a book. But then there's the this book ruined me and I'm crying at 2 a.m. Somebody help me kind of love. And the second one is all of our bestie readers. <laughs> McKinley's gonna tell you about herself, but her Instagram is fantastic. I just want you to go on it. Again, at Reese Darling, R H Y S I E Darling. And just spend a good 45 minutes to an hour laughing at her memes. She also has other lovely things on there. I will let you go check it out and I will let her talk to you. Hello, Abby and Libby. I'm so glad you asked me to be the star of the week on this amazing episode of your podcast. I began listening to your podcast after you messaged me and I immediately started loving it. So I'm really, really happy to do this. Just to introduce myself, my name is McKinley. I am 19 years old. I live in Utah in the United States and I have been reading pretty much my entire life. I really got invested in my reading around fifth grade when I read the Maze Runner series. Somewhere within 8th and ninth grade, I read the Akatar series and immediately fell in love, as you can probably tell. At the ripe age of 14 years old, I started my bookstagram known as Reesey Darling. I've kept that username since the very start, and what inspired it is Cassian's nickname for Reese, Reesey, and obviously the word darling, which is pretty iconic in the Akatar series. I started my account back in late 2018, early 2019, so you could say I've been around for a while, and I've seen the book community change quite a lot. I'm not super creatively inclined, 
So instead of taking artsy pictures of my own books and whatnot, I dedicated my account to reposting entertaining text posts and beautiful art. Only in the last one to two years-ish have I been taking it very seriously, and I was super fortunate to be able to reach 10,000 followers in July of 2023. I'm still <laughs> very shocked about that and very thankful to have reached so many people who love the Sarah J Maas universe like I do. Uh, I read Throne of Glass for the first time back in 2020 and have been reading the Crescent City books as they come out. Don't talk to me about the end of House of Sky and Breath or I will cry. I am terrified for the third book. Um, also, some of my other favorite authors include Leigh Bardugo, Chloe Gong, V.E. Schwab, and Stephanie Garber. Obviously, reading is my favorite and biggest hobby, but a couple of other things I enjoy doing are dirt biking, traveling, and watching Formula One. Big Red Bull and Ferrari fan here. I'm currently in my second year studying biomedical engineering at the University of Utah, and although it has presented a lot of challenges, I love learning and the opportunities going to college has provided me with. I commute to campus using public transportation because I live about 40 minutes north of my university. So this past summer I invested in a Kindle and it has been literally the best thing I've ever purchased. Although commuting sucks sometimes, especially in the snowy Utah winters, it has become a time that I set aside specifically for reading, which has been really enjoyable. Again, thank you so, so, so much for reaching out and inviting me to share a bit of information about myself on your podcast. I wish you all the best in all of your reading. Thanks again. Thanks, McKinley. Isn't she awesome? Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send an email to a court of thorns and podcast at gmail.com and tell us everything. How you found the series, what was your favorite or most disliked moment, your favorite and most hated characters, any and all questions you have for us, book related or not. We may answer them. We may not. We're going to do our best, but like if you send creepy stuff, probably not going to answer that. Keep that in mind. <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> but go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, preferably a good one. Like, we don't want the hate stuff, guys. We will cry. Or a rating on Spotify. Also, like, I will cry very easily. And that could help us to find more of our bookish friends. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered, we'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. From the dark. It's a man on the boy Makes me taking home my feelings You in my head, you in my heart I'm never a dog It took no probing Did you say probing? Yeah, like to prob Probe? Pro did I say, yeah, I don't know He's pretty <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I'm gonna go back to It took no questioning <laughs>